Okay. And you're happy we finished Acts, but sad, right? And we're moving on. Uh, but this will be a four-part series, uh, which will be a fantastic lead into the series that we're going to be going into before Easter. If you're really, really going, man, I want to do another book study, don't worry. We are going to go uh, and spend some extensive time going through the book of Hebrews after, um, after Easter. So it's coming. Don't worry. You're going to get another one. That won't last a year, though. It's, it's only going to last uh, through summer. So anyways... <laughs> <laughs> Less chapters, you know. Um, we are in this new series called These Four Spiritual Disciplines. And we decided there are many spiritual disciplines every believer is encouraged to engage in. These four, I picked them because they, I believe, when brought into your life, begin to change things that are going on in your spiritual life. Your spiritual life, we know this, when your spiritual life begins to grow and you begin to experience what God has for you in these disciplines, it will manifest most definitely and always does in your uh, physical life. Uh, we picked prayer, we picked Sabbath, and we picked uh, study and your favorite fasting. And so we're going to go into these, but you will be amazed as each week we're going to engage these practices, encourage everyone to engage in them, and see what God does in these practices. Uh, I, my hope has been, when we started thinking through this series, is that our church would be radically transformed or inspired in a new way that would change the way we uh, uh, live our Christian life, the way we are engaging each other and engaging the world um, together. Why do spiritual disciplines matter? That's probably what you're asking. Why does it matter? And a lot of times I think we will go, hey, I go to church, I will read my Bible, and when it's time to pray, I'll pray uh, over food or whatnot. But, but spiritual disciplines are something just a little different than some of the regular Christian rhythms that we find ourselves in. And I want you to think about this, how important that these will be in your life and why they matter so much. When you think about the rhythms of your life, right? Think about the, the life you currently live the rhythms that you've implemented in your life that give you the life or the life you don't have quite yet. And I, and I kind of wrote it out this way. They are the daily, the weekly, the monthly, or the yearly choices that you do or do not make that have brought the life that you have right now. You're living in those circumstances. That's why these disciplines are so important, not just for a life that you want to live, but when it comes to spiritual disciplines, it's even greater than that. Life disciplines, we can call them habits or healthy habits. Spiritual disciplines, I don't want, uh, if you can, to bring habits into the language of spiritual disciplines because they're far greater than just a habit that you're in. Habits are important, and we know that, right? How we lay out these habits in our life, I can almost guarantee you they work this way. <clears throat> Just in life habits. You have like a 10-year goal, right? 
and you have this idea of where you want to be, who you want to be, or what you want something to look like in 10 years. This is how we do it. Then you go, okay, well, then I've got to establish my yearly goals to then eventually get to the 10-year goal. And then I look at my yearly goal, and I go, what do I need to do monthly for that goal? And then you look at your monthly goal, and you look at uh, the daily or the weekly goal, and then you look at the weekly goals, and you go to the daily goal, and you go, this is how I will get to the 10-year goal. You first see the vision, and then you start with the practices and, and break them down to a daily. Let me give you an idea of how this looks in your regular life. In your financial life, you save, you invest, you work upward looking to get an increase in pay. You do DIY savings projects like learn to change your own oil, right? You do these things because you know, you know that the 10-year goal is down the road, and you need to do things to get there. You will stretch a dollar. You will say no more than you say yes when it comes to spending. My wife is the champion at this. I, I think she does this thing. She's not here. She's in nursery right now, so I'm definitely going to talk about her. Like <laughs> she, she does this thing I don't understand. I do not understand this. Maybe you will relate to this. She, she does a shopping thing where she'll get something and put it in and then, like, halfway through the store, she'll take and put it out. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I don't think I need that. And I'm like, why did you put it in there? She's like, I don't know. I just thought I should put it in there. I thought, I think there's something there that it feels like she's buying it, but she's not buying it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then she'll get to the register, and I feel bad for the checkout person every time because she's like, I don't think I need this. Can you put this back? I'm like, what are you doing? She's saying no more than she is saying yes for the long-term vision. Over the years, you have a future you're hoping for. That's why you get that discipline. That's why you do those little things because of the big vision in your physical life, Right? When we want to change ourselves physically in any way or have a goal we want to meet, uh, we have to do things that are tough, right? You wake up in the morning way too early. Like you, you literally give up your nighttime social life. I, I think after 8.30 or 9, I have no idea what my kids are doing. It's bad. It's bad, but I care more about this goal I'm trying to reach than, you know, the kids, they'll be fine, I, you know, as long as they have food. I think about this. When you wake up, I, I found this for myself. It's these little things that you just like, it's so important that you'll do different things. You'll change things. I know when I wake up, the first thing I do is I have to sit up because I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what I mean? You're, I literally feel like I, sh I couldn't operate any heavy machinery. I am completely stumbling around. But if I sit up, then I know that once my alarm goes off, I won't lay back down. We won't compromise. It's those little things. But what you do physically, you sweat, right? You are going to struggle. And then it begins to get easier. And then you reevaluate and go, now I need to sweat more. And I need to struggle more. And you repeat it over and over and over. And when it comes to eating, you eat for nutrition, not for pleasure anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? You say no more to things that you really want because you have your goal in mind and it gets closer and closer, and you start to feel the momentum of the goal. I could list a dozen of these disciplines. You all understand these types of habits. You're, you're living by these habits now. 
So this, this, this topic of discipline should not be foreign to any of us here at all. And, and I think it's a sense of delayed gratification. I know what I want, so I have to sacrifice now to get there. It's that I, on the future, when it comes to these types of habits in life, but it's you're living in the present and now because of the eye on the future. And so you're changing the way you live. I would like to propose to you that spiritual disciplines are a little different than your habits. Spiritual disciplines operate differently. It's kind of interesting because when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I was trying to relate to it in a lot of ways. It's very similar, isn't it? It's very similar, isn't it? But then I think about the disciples and Jesus was inviting them into something that they never did, just little by little. But then you think, like, but, but if you could get the long-term vision, and he did explain some levels of long-term vision, but he invited them into the daily step, and eventually then they grew towards the long-term vision. I think spiritual dis- disciplines work differently than habits. I, here's, here's what I think. I think it's focusing on the present, and it's focusing on the now, of which we're invited into, we don't know the greater outcome of a spiritual discipline. We don't know, if we're trusting the Spirit, where He's leading us. We don't know the exact thing that's going to happen when we engage in that spiritual discipline. We can't frame the greater goal. We can't say 10 years down the road, this will be this when I do this. Spiritual disciplines are different. I think spiritual disciplines are is the trust that you're going to step into the spiritual discipline and your vision will open up more and more and more. Have you ever been hiking? It's very similar. It's starting on the path and you don't see the top. But you're taking one step towards the next step, towards the next step, trusting the trail, switchback after switchback. And eventually, you will then see a grander vision as you're going. That is spiritual disciplines. I think it's hard for people to motivate themselves towards them because they think of it in a habit way, but it's a disciplined way to expand a greater vision, what the Spirit brings us. So let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you. You are glorious. You, the the, the creator of the entire world, who knows us intimately, wants us to engage in the spirit world and spirit life in, in, in a more brilliant way. And God, I ask that each one of us here, God, is, as we engage in these disciplines, that you begin to do things with inside of us, things that don't belong, got to go, things that hold us back, must be pushed aside, God, things that need to grow, grow, God. And I thank you, God, that ultimately we will see these disciplines as they manifest in our spiritual life, that they then point our eyes to those who are around us to be the hands and feet of you to the world around us. So, God, I thank you for the disciplines that you have invited us into this series. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message exactly what I'm hoping happens. I hope every one of you and every one of us engage into this practice, which is daily prayer. Daily prayer. And you're like, daily prayer? I love it when I go out to eat with somebody and, you know, and they're always like, oh, let's pray. And then they'll go like, well, you pray. You're the pastor. I'm like, well, you pray. And they're like, I don't do that. I'm like, well, I want to hear you pray. 
And they just get really nervous. And I don't know if you think I'm judging them, but I definitely don't. But it's just more of like this, no, 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 you pray. And, and it's like this back and forth, right? If I've ever had this with you, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I would love to engage with you and pray. I've been to hospitals before where a family member is like, can you pray for them? I'm like, how about you pray for them? And I will agree with you in prayer. And it's a weird thing when people are like, that's what you're up here for. And I'm like, no, 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 your heart, your heart is so for this person. I want to agree in prayer with you. I'll pray too. There's something about prayer. Sometimes I feel like it's very overlooked in the importance of the church. Now, you know, if you are afraid of public prayer, all throughout uh, uh, ancient Judaism and, and, and really all throughout the ancient world, the prayer of the Jewish people was very different, and the prayer of Christians was very different than the rest of the pagan world. Now, if you do yourself a favor, it's fun to look at how pagan practices worked, but when they prayed, they prayed in a way that was very much of an exchange with their God. I, God, cannot find a good woman, so I will bring you a sacrifice to this specific God to find a good woman. And I'm making a deal with you, said God, that you will deliver, right? That's how pagans prayed in almost everything that they did. That's how they engaged their deities. The, the Jewish people were very different, led by a very different God, where they didn't make an exchange with God. They just loved God and trusted God for who he was. There was no exchange or no bribing this God. They just honored this God. But when they prayed, you may not know this, it's very traditional. We, we lift our hands sometimes when we worship, but, but really more, more what was practiced was when people prayed, they lift their hands. It was very customary. And all throughout early Christianity and, and throughout the ages, people would lift their hands, and this was how they prayed. They prayed in this form. I think there's something physical about it, but also every prayer was said publicly. So if you don't like praying out loud, this is how things were done. You prayed it aloud. The power of the word was so important, and there was power in those words to pray to God. So there's all kinds of ways of which we pray come from a deep history of prayer in, in our people. But when I think about the spiritual discipline of daily prayer, I really want to make daily prayer a rhythm in your spiritual life. I don't want you to leave today without doing that. Martin Luther said this, and it's very, it's very intense. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. This is a man who understood prayer, who lived by prayer, and was, was, was willing to live and risk his whole life for what he believed, only through prayer. Think about that. He didn't say it's like to live life is like, go, like not having prayer is like living without food because you can go 30 days without food. He didn't say like living without water because you can go three days without water before you die. He said it's like if you couldn't breathe. This is a much more intense focus I think he had on prayer. Why daily prayer? Why is it so important? I have to tell you why daily. Jeremiah, who is uh, thought to have written the book of Lamentations, 
And he's writing this about a people and to a people who have been crushed and broken and overrun. Their city has been destroyed. Their temple has been destroyed to the Israelites. And he is writing to these people who have been decimated. Listen to what he says in Lamentations 2020. You've probably heard it in different versions in the Psalms, and, but here's where it comes from. I will never forget this awful time, he's recognizing, as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Listen to these words. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is what he's doing, a few things. One is he is saying this, nothing outlasts the faithful love of the Lord in his mercies. They will never cease. Big picture. Little picture that the Lord's mercies are new every morning and he will meet you there with them. I love this. I love the way he frames it and that's how he finds his hope. To you, he is forever for you, but yet he meets you every day. This is the God we serve. This is the God you'll pray to. He will meet you there every time when he, and he outlasts the great things of life. Put this photo up, if you could, of these pyramids. These are iconic. We see these, and, and they've lasted for a long time. These were built 4,500 years ago. Let me give you an idea of how long they've lasted and how great God's mercy is compared to this. Cleopatra is actually closer in time to you than she is to these pyramids being built. These have been around for a long time. The world has changed around them, but they are crumbling. They will fall. God says that he will outlast all of these from generation to generation to every minute and moment in your day. God's mercies are there and there for you to meet him there. I'd like the sunrise analogy of every morning. When you see a sunrise... It does inspire something in you that this is the beginning of something new. You have a new day. And God says that he will meet you just like that. It's important to meet with God. It's important to commune with God. It's important to spend that time with God. Imagine if you had a hero that you were going to meet with. Just imagine. Think of the hero. Think of the guru. Think of the expert that you need to meet with. Think of the mentor that you need to meet with. Are you showing up late for that meeting? No. Are you showing up? Are you not no showing? Are you no showing that meeting? Absolutely not. Are you thinking about that the night before? Are you coming prepared with questions in a list? Or is the mentor, hero, whoever going to just ask you all the questions? How are we coming to that meeting? We would never do any of those things, yet we will just no show God in those moments where he's saying, I will meet you every morning. God, this is the creator of the universe. This is the God who set the stars. This is the God who fashioned your body, made you who you are. 
we, we, we have to have that type of reverence for who he is. You know, the thing about daily prayer is tough because some people, we, we go, well, I don't know about how I could fit that in. And, and you have to ask this question, what does it look like for me when you're talking about daily prayer, you know, to meet with God daily? I think there's a couple kinds. And, and, and you, you can write these down, but they're not on the screen, but I'll, I'll just give you an idea. There is a dedicated time of prayer that some people have to have that. Like, I have a few dedicated times in my life that if I don't have them scheduled, I will not do them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If it's not a priority, it's not happening, all right? And so these are a standard, standing appointments that you have in your life. Now, Martin Luther, who I just quoted, said this about his daily appointed time. He said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. And he said, and I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. <laughs> That's serious. He had a mission. He knew that he needed that time with God. Now, that's one way to do it. That might not be for everybody. Let me appeal to more of the artistic person who like sleeps until noon, stays up till three. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who just kind of is like, you know, everybody is so different. Listen, I, I think I'm a mix in between both. I need this, but I'm also kind of scattered. And, and I like that rhythm too. But there's moments throughout the day then. Moments throughout the day where you just find these moments with God or you prioritize them with God. It doesn't have to be this huge amount of time you schedule in the morning. It doesn't have to be, I've got to wake up early. It can be in these other moments. We're also very different as long as it's a priority. Thomas Kincaid, my mom was a big Thomas Kincaid painting guy person. I would look at her paintings and I'd be like, there's never any people in these paintings. What are these paintings about? And she loved Thomas Kincaid, gave me one as a gift of which I re-gifted, okay? Like my mom <laughs> loved Thomas Kincaid. I didn't know anything about him. And then I started reading about him a little bit. And then I had a, a respect for this statement as this artist. He said, rather than set aside daily time of prayer, I pray constantly and spontaneously about everything I encounter on a daily business. This sounds like an artist. When someone shares something with me, I'll often simply say, let's pray about this right now. I don't know your rhythm. I don't know how you work. But the fact is, is that there's two different ends of the spectrum here and everything in between. But the one thing we're seeing is priority. It matters. It depends on you. We'll all work very differently. But when you engage in this process, I think a lot of people, when, when they begin to pray, and tell me if you feel this, where they don't know what to pray. Do you know what I'm talking about? And a lot of times, it'll be just like, we'll pray when it's like the Hail Mary prayer. Do you know that prayer? Oh, God. Okay, that's how it starts normally. Help me. Corey Tamboom said this, and I thought it was interesting. She said, uh, I, liked, I liked how she framed it. She said, um, when it comes to prayer, is it your steering wheel or your spare tire? And I was like, ooh, that's good. Because I think a lot of us, it can be a spare tire. And so we, we are in a practice of only knowing how to engage prayer in one way. But is it our steering wheel? So here's three focuses I think that will help as you develop your daily prayer discipline. One, very simple. 
upward adoration. If you can just think, I'm praying upward. And why this is so, I think, hopefully easy to remember is upward adoration is this, and I have kind of a, my own definition of it, but adoration is worship in the form of honor, gratitude, and love to God. When you're engaging in prayer, it, it, it will be in a sense of God in awe of who he is. There's something about upward adoration. There's this thing of praise and glory and, and, and a bigness to God that, that is encouraged really throughout Scripture. And I'll, I'll kind of get into a few here. Psalms, if you want a good example of it, Psalms 810. This is a really good one. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the anger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moons and the stars of which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? And the son, this becomes more personal, the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavens, uh, heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. Now this is their time. And also the beasts of the field, the, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, you are majestic, and how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is upward awe. And when we engage in prayer, one of the things we should be mindful of uh, is this, is framing the world, creation, life, first with this, awe of who God is. I, I don't know about you, but I love science, and science used to be so against religion, and still very much is so, but the more and more we see science poking into the parts of the world and the universe and the universe, we start to then see more and more awe of the unknown, of which we would say, there's something greater. I love it. Science is really building my awe and adoration for God. It really is. I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I watch a documentary just about how the human body works, I'm just like, God, you are amazing. I, I, do you know what I'm saying? Thank you, Netflix. You're increasing my spiritual life. <laughs> Nature documentaries, when I look at the ecosystem and how God has perfectly tuned this world, I'm in awe. It builds my confidence and just who I serve more and more. And I think about these things of like, we would say, oh, these are coincidences, but they're really divine creation that people cannot explain, I grow. Or when I think about gratitude of God, like I'm just, I mean, the, the luckiest person alive. I'm breathing, I have a mind, I can comprehend, I can change. It's amazing this type of 
view when you begin to see God in this light and how you will see yourself in the light of that. If there's one thing that mankind needs more than anything is to be toppled from out from underneath its pedestal, often. That they are not God. That God is God. We can express this in one setting, and we can express it in many. I've been out with people who literally are, will sit and stare at the waves and the ocean, and, and literally I can see them worshiping. I've had friends of mine who are a little hippy-dippy, you know what I mean? And they're just like, they're just like God, God's amazing. And I'm like, I don't know. I, it's cold out here, dude. Let's go. And he's like, oh, no. It's just, Wow. And I feel a little bit weird when it happens, you know what I mean? Like, dude, cool it. Like, <laughs> but he, they're right. My one friend who made me feel uncomfortable that way often when he'd see something, like, let's just stop for a minute and just see, like, God, God's amazing. I'm like, all right, okay, all right, I need to do it. It's this upward adoration. You know what it does? It humbles the self, Right? We're, we're, we're constantly denying self. In upward adoration, it humbles self so we can actually then pick up the cross and follow Jesus. It puts everything else into perspective. Everything else we can worry about, want, or see, or things we get distracted by. And when we honor and praise and give God awe and, and gratitude for what he's done, it, we can actually make the cross easier to pick up for us. It gives us perspective. When we are in awe of God, I think this is true. And you tell me if you feel this. You feel the storms calm, even though they're still going, but there's a peace. You will feel trust grow in you, as you engage in this. You will see your perspective shift about this life. And I think that your heart will open and strength will grow. When we put God in the proper frame every single day of who he is and who we are to him. Here's my upward challenge to you, is each day or throughout the day, engage in upward adoration. These are things like gratitude. You know, we can really take our families for granted unless we stop and look around and go, wow, I'm the luckiest person on the planet. We can take even our jobs for, for granted. We can take the, the things we have around us for granted. If we just take a minute and go, wow, thank you, God. I'm grateful for how far you've gotten me. We can take a lot of things for granted. You're actually placed in life now. When you look back and see who you were, we can take that for granted and we can forget. We want to recognize who God is and see him in all things around us. We want to... This is the challenge. You will do this when you pray all thanks and praise. That's the upward adoration challenge. The second part I think is important that we will do is we will bring in this other part, which opens the door because of upward adoration, which is inward transformation. When we pray, the Hail Mary prayer is what we're hopefully, if we engage in that, to get away from. Because when we pray, prayer is formative. It transforms us. And especially in light, when we give God due honor for who he is and who we are to him. Oh, I wanted to read this verse. I'm not going there yet. Back this up one more. Back it up, back it up, back up. Uh, I cannot not read this verse because I'm studying Hebrews right now for our series. And this verse stood out to me because I don't get a lot of verses like this. 
You know, we see the Gospels describe Jesus, but then the Hebrews, because we don't know the writer, we think it's Apollo, but like he, he's seeing Jesus from a different angle. And listen to what he says here, because Jesus always touched on upward adoration, always. If you listen to any time Jesus in prayer or mentioned in, in the Gospels, you will see the first upward adoration. You will see Jesus giving God praise to us. But listen to this, Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. You don't hear this in the gospel. I can't believe this scripture has not popped to me before. To him who was able to save him from death, God. And he was heard because of his reverence. I can't wait till we get to Hebrews. It's such a good book. Jesus was always honoring God, always giving the upward prayer. Okay, we can go now. Okay, inward transformation. Upward adoration opens the doors of our hearts for inward transformation. When we are seeing God for who God is and we are acknowledging God for who he is and we see who we are in light of God and his greatness, we then begin to have inward transformation. Isaiah says it one of the best. This is what happens when we are, meet God. Isaiah 6, 5, and it says this, this prophet is having a vision of God and into the actually heavens of God, seeing the throne room of God. And he said, woe is me for I am lost. This is what happens when he sees the bigness of God. He immediately goes to what's lacking. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king for who he is, and the Lord of hosts. And then seraphim, which is like an angel type of figure, flew to me, having in his hand a a burning coal that was taken from the tongs of the altar of forgiveness. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sins atoned, or your sins atoned for. What happens when we encounter God in this awe and pray? Imagine this every day. And then the first thing we do in the presence of God is the things that need transformation in our life begin to reveal themselves in light of that. Remember um, Acts 9? So long ago, when Paul, who thought he was right on all things, but encountered Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, literally in in, in the presence of God, had an immediate life transformation. His whole life was rocked because of this reality. We're invited to do that every single day when we look at God and praise and honor God for who he is. Just like Paul, just like Isaiah here, it changed their life. It brings radical change, actually, when you frame God in this way and you begin to see the things that God, that you wouldn't want to bring before God. Um, I'll just say this when it comes to inward transformation. I got good news for you. You do not have to have a life and death situation or a near death situation to make real change. You ever hear that? That's it. I had the heart attack. Things are going to change. Oh, that's it. I almost died. and It was a miracle. Now I'm going to be nice to everyone. 
It's like the Scrooge moment, you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, I've been wrong. I'm going to change, right? You do not have to have that in order to begin the inward transformation that's been nagging at you for a long time. You have this when you put yourself in the right perspective and you are open for God to then begin to show you the things that have been just hanging on, that actually the things that are unhealthy in our life, the things that don't honor God, they're just, they end up in some form of death in your life anyways. You don't, you don't actually have to have that. Now for inward transformation, for this prayer, Psalms 107, you should go and read Psalms 107. It's highly underrated, but it says so much about who God is in these, in these little uh, examples that are given throughout that psalm, but I'll give you a, a run over of it, is that it's, it, it displays the power of inward transformation through prayer. And first, there are these desert wanderers dying is one story. Then there's these, some people who are in prisons and they're shackled till their death right? In another story. And then some people are starving just because of the sinful decisions that they've made. That's one, another story. Some are sea merchants who are arrogant in their boastfulness of knowing the sea and their wealth. And they're confident in themselves. That's another story that's laid out there. Each group, it's, it's beautiful because each group hits rock bottom where they have to do the Hail Mary. And they cry out to God right? And then immediately God delivers them, he saves them, and he repositions them for a better life, and he forgives them. And the cool thing is, is the desert wanders, they find a city, and they build a life, and they have a future. These are these things that God wants to deal with in our life to actually give us a future and give us something better than what we've been hanging on to. They're the bond prisoners, their shackles are broken, and they get to live a free life, no longer chained. The starving people who are hopeless in their sin, they actually, the Bible says, they receive a healing, the healing word, and I believe it's a pathway of Scripture that they get. And the arrogant merchants cry out to God, and they receive peace in the storm. It calms, and, the, and it says they, it gets, God gets them to a safe harbor and a haven so they can build life. Inward transformation prayer, I think, cries out to God ultimately to create in you a new heart, to work on the things that actually produce death in our life, and we're in light of God saying, these things got to change. You're humbled. You're open. And in that prayer, we're crying out to God, God, with this thing, help I bring it to you. And here's the thing about those things that we need transformation on. God will not rip that from you. They're only things that you can hand over. It's in your hands and in your power to do it. But they're life-changing. Now listen to this. This is the conclusion of Psalms 107, 35. He turns deserts into pools of water. Think about these areas of your life that need transformation. He turns deserts into pools of water, a parched land to springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city so now they can build something better that they can live in. And they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessings, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish, meaning this, their life is changed as they cried out to God in these areas that they needed 
to turn over to him. That's inward transformation. Here's my inward challenge, and we'll get to the last one. Inward challenge. Each day, ask God to reveal what doesn't belong. Like I said, you can only hand it to him. He asked, and, and then the other one is ask him for that desert area to grow new fruit. There are areas of our life when we hand it over to God, God will grow something new there. Ask him to grow something better. Every one of those stories, there's something better than what they thought. They just had to turn it over. The last one is this, when we think about prayer and this daily prayer, is the outward petition. The outward petition is, is important, and, and it will be important for us to really grab a hold of this, especially for the series just after this series called our Oikos series, of where we're reaching those around us and praying for those around us that God opens a door for us. But the prayer of outward petition is interceding for someone else's behalf. This is where this is not necessarily about you. This is about the other. This is an important part of our rhythm in our prayer. First Timothy 2. I'm going to give you three passages. There's many more, but three passages that can get us started in thinking how we pray or who we should be praying for. Paul writes this, first of all, then I urge that all supplications, this is the type of like petition prayer, prayers, intercessions, right? Where we're praying for the other and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and who are all in high positions that we may lead peaceful lives, peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. There's a reason for this prayer. Yes, Paul is saying, pray for these people in charge. Pray for the people that, 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 that at this time determine whether you can stay in their city because of the persecution against Christians. But he says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our Lord who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we pray, and we're praying outwardly, pray for the people who are in charge. Pray for the people at your company who are in charge. Pray for the people around you like who make decisions and so that you can live and be a living model for who Christ is. So here's what I think it's saying is pray for your city. Pray for opportunities to live out your witness in your city and to reach the lost. This is a prayer ultimately for the lost. Matthew 5, uh, 43. This is a tough one. But it's an important one. And this is from Jesus. You have heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is an outward prayer. And so that you may be sons, children of the Father who is in heaven. Pray for the difficult ones in your life. And you know who they are. <laughs> We all know who they are, but this is that sacrificial part of our prayer. This is when it's and praising God and giving him awe is, 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 is really amazing in that experience. And then the inward transformation is incredible that God's doing inside of us. The outward petition can be tough, especially with this one, because we're praying for those who we don't want to pray for. But I promise you, God will do something in you, and our hope is that God will do something in them. I was uh, reading this story a while back 
about this mother. It's one of my favorite stories about redemption and forgiveness. It's, it's, it's beyond what I'm just like, God, I would have to have the strength that I don't have to do what she did. Her son was murdered by a drive-by shooter, by another, a gang member, accidentally. He goes to prison. She, she wishes he was dead. This young man, he's in prison for the rest of his life, or it seemed to, his sentence was long. And so she just hated him so much, but had to pray to release that. And then her only son is gone. And she just prayed and prayed. And eventually, God, can help me forgive him. Help me forgive him. And prayed and prayed and prayed. And eventually, she got to the point of where she felt like I should go meet him. And then talk to him and tell him, I forgive you for what you've done. This relationship kept going for so long that eventually when he got out of prison, she invited him, imagine this, the murderer of your son, to come live with him. And she essentially adopted him in his life. He had no parents. He was just a street kid. And now he is uh, a believer and has changed his whole life in she has adopted her son's murderer. Amazing. Praying for those who hurt you. You never know where God's going to lead it. But we pray for them. And then the last one is this, and we'll get ready to close, is James 5, 6. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. No, no, no. This is talking about us as a body. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. There are those of us in the, our church community who have burdens. And I think a lot of times people feel weird about saying, like, hey, I need prayer right now. We, we don't like to be ex expose ourselves like that. That's a level of vulnerability that most of us aren't comfortable with. We, we love, love to keep everything intact. You know what I mean? The face. But inside... I'm sorry, I've lived long enough, I've talked to enough people, and it doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your upbringing, all of us, and, and I'll, just, I'll just speak on behalf of our church, I, I've met it with enough of you, I know the struggles, I know it's difficult, when everybody thinks everything is fine, I get what's going on, and I appreciate you sharing that with me. But at the end of the day, we have struggles and we have burdens that, that James says to his, the body, bring them to one another for healing. When we're in sin, bring it to another for healing. When we have a burden, bring it to another for carrying that with you. The prayer of the righteous person is great power. And I, I think the thing is, is we pray for your fellow saints. Do you know that's your name, Saint? You can go around today and be like, I'm a saint, right? You, the Bible calls you a saint, fellow saints. Pray for your fellow saints for strength and healing and struggles. We'd love to see more of that in our church. I really would. You know, I don't have the miracle prayer if you want prayer. I will carry your burden with you, though. But we are meant to carry each other's burdens. And so I pray that God either opens your heart to share it with others where you're struggling. And listen, uh, uh, an extra prayer doesn't hurt. I'm not going to lie. Having someone else on your side praying, believing for you in your struggles and for healing doesn't hurt. Here's your upward challenge. Who can I pray for daily this week that is in need of it? Just one person, but I'm going to pray for him. Whether it's one of those three categories, a leader, 
Someone who's hurt you or someone you struggle with or another fellow believer that just needs someone else standing in the gap for them. Pick that person. Pray for them. And I'll end with this last, the, the final challenge, which I want to encourage you is to commit each day this week. Just try it each day for this discipline to uh, set time apart to pray. And if you need a format and a rhythm, you can definitely do upward, inward, and outward. And see what God does. See what he does in your life. The prayer at the beginning of the service, when I had everybody pray, I, I literally prayed the outline. Uh, you probably don't remember. But it doesn't have to be complicated. I did my upward, I did my inward, and I did my outward. So I think sometimes we make it more than it is. But take that time to just set aside however you do it and watch this discipline change your life. Watch this discipline transform you. Watch what happens and how you see the world when you enter into this discipline. And definitely watch how you see God and who you are to him in this discipline. You will not be disappointed. So God, we love you and we thank you as we engage in these spiritual disciplines. God, I ask that you um, every day have it on our heart, the Spirit nagging us, reminding us how important this discipline is, that we eventually have this idea that we see it like Martin Luther, which is like it's a part of our life. It's what we do. It's how we commune with you, God. It's how we transform our lives, and it's how we set our eyes on the world. Prayer is powerful, and we know that, God. So I ask that we as a church become a church that is committed to prayer. We know we are in a spiritual warfare. And we cannot strategize our way through this, God. We cannot fight our way physically through this spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare. And God, you have asked us to come ready. And we will do that through prayer. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me this last song as we sing?